You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. I hope you all have had a good two weeks. Following your last story, I want to thank all of you who have reached out to Gemma and thanked her for her story. I know for a fact that each one of your messages gives us strength. A bit like blowing in the sails of a ship. So go Gemma, go go girl. So how little Cabot is growing at the moment. Firstly, you might have seen it through social media and I do apologize if I have inundated your feed this week, but there has been an extraordinary development on one of our stories. Do you remember the handshake? The friendship of the Belgian prisoner of war and the German child, Kurt? Well, that story has gathered quite a bit of traction in Germany. And now, a team of local historians, Belgian and German, are working together to find descendants of both men. How beautiful is that? And that also brought on the birth of the Erin Cabot episode in German. The story was translated by my Austrian friend Barbara, because I knew she would do a great job. And then it was read beautifully by a childhood friend of mine who has married a German man. And I'm left in awe of all of this. At a time when politics and COVID seem to make our world shrink a little more every day, isolating us all in our countries, households, there, just through the power of a simple true story, people are connecting with one another across cultures and languages. I also want to warn you that the sound of this episode might be slightly different from the usual. Indeed, I am myself quarantined away from home and I'm missing my airing cupboard. So I have made myself a little tent with my duvet and a table and it is from there that I am speaking to you. So, on with our story. So today's story comes from Aurélie. I have never met Aurélie. We met her through Twitter. She is part of a group of genealogists and family historians that I follow. We have exchanged a lot and I have been amazed from day one by her ability to choose her words and convey her thoughts. So this story is mostly told in her beautiful words, picked up along her exchanges. For her, the thread of this story is part of the pattern of a larger picture in her life about the meaning of home and the human yearning or even the instinct for attachment and belonging. We are each unique individuals, complete in ourselves, yet also we need to be needed to know that we are essential parts of something greater. If home is a place, are we then like trees, rooted in elemental ways to a particular patch of land? Or are we more like ships, which traverse the depth alone, 
but cast lines on occasion to other vessels and lower anchor in favorable harbors. I've always been interested in my ancestors. I can't remember a time when I wasn't absolutely fascinated and drawn to these people and the connection between us. I remember as a small child, one of my favorite things to do at Grandma's house was to go get her little case of photographs off the shelf and take them to her. And she would sit with me at her kitchen table for hours and show me the pictures of our family and tell me their names and tell me their stories. And this was completely absorbing for me and delightful. I moved a lot as a child and I think I began to try to understand the meaning of home. I was quite intrigued with the whole relationship we have with home. What does this mean? Is it a place? Is it a feeling? Uh, is it just a state of mind? Now, I was born in the United States of America, but it was obvious to me that I was not an indigenous American. So I knew that my people had once been voyagers, that long ago my people had gotten into ships and sailed across the sea. And I felt really curious about this. I wondered if they once had a place that they considered to be home, how could they leave it? Well, time passed and I grew up and I met a charming Welshman who won my heart and we married and I became an immigrant myself. And although I was really confident about the man I was marrying, I knew that he was the right one for me. I still had moments of trembling within. I wondered, would I be accepted? Would I ever feel understood? Would I ever belong in my new country? Would I ever be at home? And in those crucial moments of self-doubt, a wonderful thing occurred. There came into my mind the names of my mothers, the names of these ancestors, all these women, generation upon generation of women before me who had gone through exactly the same experience of leaving the land of their birth and wielding hope like a power and building up their family in a new place. So within my heart, I kind of invoked the spirit of these mothers. I called upon Christina Belival. Mary Chilton, Bertha Reut, Josephine Luce, and Margaret Smith. And I kind of heard back from them. 
uh, not in audible words, but kind of like a whisper to my spirit. They were saying to me, we succeeded. You're the proof of that. Go forward, daughter. Be brave and go forward. You will do as we did. And you will make a home wherever your feet are planted and your heart is full of love for the people around you. A name is like a key. It can unlock memories or seal expectations. In some cases, it can close the door of opportunity. In other cases, it can open the gates of trust. In family history research, a name is a golden key which allows entrance to a treasury of books. A name unlocks the archives of records containing a wealth of knowledge about the simple details of our ancestors' lives, such as where they lived, what they did for work, when and where they died. And so Orally started researching the story of her foremothers. They were all interesting to her, but as you heard in her audio clip, there was one in particular that caught all her attention. Maybe because the story was incomplete, and Orally is always in search of completeness. Margaret Smith. Margaret Smith was born in 1803, and she lived a life which is remarkable in its highlights of boldness and adventure, as well as striking in its sorrows. Margaret got married at around the age of 18 in Edinburgh, Scotland, to a young clerk, Peter Kay, the son of a shoemaker also from Edinburgh. Just a few weeks before the wedding, he had enlisted as a soldier with the Honourable East India Company. And so, only two months after tying the knot, they boarded the ship, the Duke of Wellington. And that sailing boat was going to take them all the way across the ocean, all the way across the world, to India, Madras. And we can only imagine how this young couple of lovers would have felt embarked on the ambitious and lengthy journey to a land that was only spoken about, never smelt, never seen, never experienced. And they got there as the records show that eight months after setting sails for foreign shores, Margaret gave birth to their first child, a daughter they named Catherine born in Madras. Two more children soon followed, a daughter and a son. But life wasn't to be without these harrowing trials for Margaret, as a younger daughter died just days before her fourth birthday. Soon afterwards, her husband, Peter Kay, who had by then attained the rank of surgeon, left off soldiering and the bereft family returned to their homeland, arriving in Scotland in 1829 after a life 
deafening absence of eight years. What an adventure they had had. And how odd it may have seemed to Margaret to once again set her foot upon the land so familiar, yet feel her heart beating with an internal landscape so altered and expanded by her eight years of travels, toils, triumphs and tears. But the river of life ever rushes forward, and whatever Margaret's reflection or inner feelings may have been upon her return to Edinburgh, it is apparent that the physical energy was fully engaged in building life anew. She and Peter were blessed with yet another daughter, their first child on Scottish soil. But they enjoyed the solace of her presence in their family circle for only a brief season. About 13 months later, her young life was exhausted and extinguished by a bout of whooping cough. And from here, a dark veil falls upon the life records of Margaret Smith Kay, with no clear indication of her abode or activities. In 1853, her daughter Catherine got married to a journeyman shoemaker, James Townsend of Dumfries in Edinburgh. Was Margaret present at the wedding of her daughter? One thing we do know is that Margaret and her husband parted company. Whether that separation occurred despite the intense years of shared joys and sorrow, or because of it, is a question that can only be answered by those long slumbering in the grave. But in the 1861 census, retired soldier Peter Kay is recorded as living in Edinburgh with another wife. He and she died within days of one another, of bronchitis and paralysis respectively. But where was Margaret Smith? There was no record of her death to be found. It was as if she had just faded into the ether after the death of her infant daughter. And perhaps she had. Maybe she had given up the ghost and died alongside her daughter. The record books were silent on the matter. So Aurélie resigned herself to the reality that she may never know that perhaps the details of Margaret K. Smith's later life and death are one of those mysteries that become part of the shadow and texture of life, of her own life. But Margaret's story stayed on Aurélie's mind, a bit like the missing piece of a puzzle. A few years later, Aurélie made the pilgrimage to Scotland, with her whole family in tow, to celebrate her daughter's graduation. As this was a long journey, the family planned a stop in Dumfries, to rest and refresh themselves, and to take advantage of the opportunity to allow their children to drink in the flavour of a place where some of their ancestors lived. 
As we know, Margaret Smith's daughter, Catherine, had married a man from Dumfries named James Townsend, who was a journeyman shoemaker by trade. So Aurelie thought it would be wonderful to discover some touchstone of his life, some tangible evidence of his existence there. Could her little family set their feet upon a bridge that his feet had trod? Might they hear a church bell that had sounded in his ears? Or perhaps even touch a doorpost that his hand had rested upon? She was determined to try a look at finding his grave and paying her respects at his final resting place. So according to the death records, he had died in Dumfries in 1871, but she had no idea of his burial place. So they called in at the Dumfries and Galloway Family History Society in hopes of getting some advice about where to look. As they entered the small bustling shop, housing the Family History Society. A friendly gentleman approached them and asked if he could be of any assistance. She no sooner explained her errand when he immediately went to a bookshelf and returned a moment later with an old, worn book containing all the informations about memorials of the old churchyards of Dumfries. Expertly leafing through the pages, the gentleman handed her the open book and asked her if the entry here, his finger pointing to the line, could refer to her ancestor. And there she read. She read James Townsend, shoemaker, died 28th of October 1871, aged 47, with Margaret Smith, his mother-in-law, died the 11th of September 1871, aged 68. So she was here. She had always been here in Dumfries. Margaret Smith Kay, the sojourners of seas, mothers of her mothers, buried with her son-in-law. What a sweet and comforting thought to think that Margaret had aged alongside a daughter, the only one that had survived and that maybe they had drawn strength from one another and that Margaret may have had the joy of grandchildren to brighten her days along the last stretch of her life's winding path. Who could have guessed. So Aurelie was given the name of the cemetery where they rested and within minutes she and her family were on their way to the churchyard. What a peculiar sight they must have been. A family of tourists, clearly on a holiday, rushing straight past the grand Robert Burns gravestone to search through the humble and weathered stones standing in obscurity behind the church. They fanned out, methodically searching each stone in every row, but to no avail. There was no monument for James Townsend, nor his mother-in-law Margaret. 
Were they in the wrong place? Or had the stone crumbled with age? Or been moved? And just as her husband and she were reluctantly accepting defeat and beginning to gather their children for departure, a shout came from halfway down the section. In the tree, the stone is here in the tree. There, right at the base of the trunk, completely surrounded by the foliage of a robust 20-foot-high tree, was the gravestone and resting place of her ancestors. Found by her son, casting one last serendipitous glance in an unlikely place before leaving. So this is the gift to me from Margaret Smith. Uh, I get to borrow her strength in my times of need, and I hope that my life gives her joy. We had a special moment as we stood at her graveside and paid our respects. Our youngest daughter plucked a little wildflower from the grass, a tiny daisy with a rose blush around the tips of the petals. And she placed that flower on top of the gravestone of her ancestors, Margaret Smith and James Townsend. And then she fished in her pocket and pulled out a little pebble that she had collected. It's a heart-shaped pebble. And she placed it there next to the flower. And then our daughter turned to me and she said, I don't know them, but I love them. And in her eight years old wisdom, Aurelie believes her daughter spoke an essential truth about home. Home is not found in a place. It is found in love for people. It is that love which roots us and anchors us, even across time and space. Et voilà. I hope you have enjoyed Aurélie's story. Thank you, Aurélie, for trusting me with telling your story and giving me your voice. If you want to link up with Aurélie, she is on our Facebook group and also on Twitter. She also has a YouTube channel called The Dead Keen Family History. And I think today is a 50th birthday. So all my good wishes to you, dear Aurélie. If you have enjoyed this story, share it with someone that might enjoy it. Or even better, write a review on Apple Podcasts or on the app of your choice. It only takes a minute. And it is truly the very best way to support this little project. Thanks in advance. I wish you all a very good two weeks. And until we meet again in the Aaron Cupboard, goodbye. 